you're pushed to go to university. When you're in university, you're pushed to get like on a graduate scheme. When you're in a graduate scheme, you're pushed to get a career job. Like you could basically end up sleepwalking your way through your career. And now when I like when I meet people who are doing like what they want to do when they want to do it and they've like molded a career out of what they really really love like it's really inspirational how do we bottle that skill that someone's got and give it to kids now growing up so that they can be prepared to do whatever they want when they're like 16 18 we stand today the business method the business with method. a shadow. The business method. The business method podcast. The business method podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs' systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that produce over a million dollars and annual revenue and now we're interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business and influence income results economies and cultures there's a growing number of people building these caliber of businesses like this and we're going to figure out what it takes to make this happen now let's jump in today's show the business method Starting a successful social media agency at 22 and building it to become one of the UK's leading social media companies, getting on Forbes 30 under 30 and the UK powerlifting team, creating a business model where she can work for two months and take one month off for travel, landing a TEDx talk, becoming an author and writing children's books, then getting those books in every primary school in her home country. The list goes on and on, but that is the start of our podcast today when we interview the amazing, incredible entrepreneur Jody Cook. I recently met Jody after being introduced to her writing on Forbes, and I was impressed with all that she had created in her life as an entrepreneur and influencer. Jody is the founder of JC Social Media, and she has built it to be one of the largest agencies in the United Kingdom. On the show today, we chat with Jody about her life, her habits, and how she's created success. We dive into a chat about personal habits for success, then moving into her story about how the children's books that she wrote got into all the primary schools in the United Kingdom. Later in the show, we chat more about the future of social media, getting on Forbes 30 Under 30, and we even touch on being an influencer in today's world. You guys, it's an exciting episode, but before we dive into the interview, I have to tell you about our upcoming event, Get Shit Done Live in Thailand, 2019, October 24th through November 2nd, 10 days of high-performance productivity with other established entrepreneurs growing their business on a rapid level together. You're welcome to join us. We'd love to have you. Check out the website, thebusinessmethod.com forward slash get dash shit dash done. <laughs> get dash shit dash done. All entrepreneurs are welcome to join us. The people that come to the event are getting amazing results. Actually, we had a guy recently tell us that um, in the last two days of the event last year, he produced $170,000 in sales with Facebook ads that he started from our event. So highly recommend it, you guys. And without further ado, let's jump into today's podcast with the amazing entrepreneur, Jody Cook. 
entrepreneurs' systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Listeners, welcome to the podcast today. I am going to introduce really quick a very fun guest that I'm excited to interview, Jody Cook. Jody is the founder of JC Social Media. She's a social media, um, one of, I guess, she's probably, the, are you the top social media expert in the UK? Or would you just say, would you say one of the best? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, one of them, <laughs> definitely. One of them, yeah. Um, so she's she's one of the top social media experts uh, coming from the UK, but she's also abroad as well and the founder of jodycook.com. Um, 2017 Forbes named her 30 under 30 European social media top entrepreneurs and uh, we have her on the podcast. Jody, how are you doing? Hey, I'm really good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, are you, where in the UK are you? Uh, I'm in Birmingham, right in the middle. Okay. Got it. Is that where you're originally from? Yes, I'm from here. And then I spend probably, um, two months here, one month somewhere else, two months here, one month somewhere else, and then just keep repeating. Uh, what are some of your other somewhere else places that you go to? Uh, Cape Town is one of my favorites. San Diego, I love. And then we just came back from Vienna and spent a month in Stockholm this year as well. Oh, how nice. Do you travel for, or do you take the, so that's a, a typical four hour work week um, lifestyle, right? Because I believe Tim Ferriss highlighted that he likes to work two months and then one month off. Is that where you got that idea? Yeah, I guess so. Well, actually, that's that's probably the book that started it all when I read it back in 2012. Um, when I go away, I try and focus on like writing, like reading and writing. And that's when I do like the creating side of what I do. And then when I'm in Birmingham, it's very much like working with the team, like running an agency, but they kind of cross over, like they definitely feed into each other no matter where I am. And when you travel, do you usually pick the place for uh, travel purposes and pleasure purposes or for business or a little of both? So I guess there's a, there's like a criteria list that I pick because uh -huh. I travel with my husband because we both run our businesses like together and we both are powerlifters so I, I compete in powerlifting as well so the first thing I'd choose is the gym and then <laughs> nice. it has to be sunny so it's all like chasing the sunshine around and then we find like a cool Airbnb like as near to the sea as possible and as near to the gym as possible um, and then try and find somewhere that's like maybe a lot of DCers are in or somewhere that like we know that we can meet a lot of cool people and then just spend time exploring and writing and training. Nice. Um, so what's your criteria for the gym? I've got to know. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, it has to, it has to be good for powerlifting really. So it has to have a good like squat rack, at least one. Um, although there's, well, we've trained at some crazy gyms. There was one in Bali called, um, S2S. I think it was a CrossFit gym and it was pretty much like a make your own, make your own squat rack, get your own bar from the cupboard. Like it was quite, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool, but, um, I think it'd be difficult to like train for a competition training somewhere like that. But overall it just has to be set up quite well for powerlifters with a good place to squat, bench press and deadlift. And then it's really nice to go somewhere that has a, a nice community around it. Like, um, there's a gym in Vienna called Das Gym, which calls itself the best gym in the world. And it really prides itself on having like a community of members who are just all really, really serious about training. So that was really cool to train at. Where's, do you have a favorite gym that you've been to in the world? Uh, 
Well, the one I tried out here is called MSC Performance and I really like that. So it's nice to have that one for most of the year. Um, and then, yeah, Das Gym is definitely my favorite after that. As a power lifter, how much time are you dedicating towards um, towards your exercise and your body uh, on a daily basis? Uh, quite a lot. I guess I train, at the moment I train six days a week and each session is probably between an hour and two hours long. And then in between that, there's like, stretching and programming and like planning what you're going to do and then competitions are a thing after that because um, I'm competing in the powerlifting commonwealth in September in Canada so that's like a whole week away and like watching other people compete and then doing it myself so yeah it's a pretty big it's a pretty big outlay but it's it's just quite a fun sport and it's not always been like it's, it's still not huge compared to like weightlifting or bodybuilding or other like quite I guess like less fringe sports but it's definitely growing and so it's quite a nice time to be part of it where membership to say british powerlifting has like like quadrupled or something in the last like six months even oh wow as an entrepreneur and a successful entrepreneur um i'm sure there's many uh habits or uh training expertise that you get from powerlifting or from entrepreneurship that overlap could you talk about that a little bit like um what maybe you uh you've learned from being a powerlifter that you apply in entrepreneurship and maybe what you've learned from entrepreneurship that you apply as a powerlifter yeah so a main part of it is is focus like if i'm training i have my phone on airplane mode i try not to oh it's hard not to chat too much because you always meet cool people in the gym but i try <laughs> so hard to just focus on what i'm doing and i guess like visualize every lift i'm doing before i'm doing it as well so i probably do that in work stuff as well like if i'm if i'm writing an article or writing a book or something i try and switch everything else off so i'm not distracted by anything like i just don't believe in multitasking and i don't think that you can just like straddle loads of different like priorities at the same time um so the focus is a big part of it and then i guess part of that is like minimizing like not doing not doing the stuff that is not going to make the difference so maybe that's like a four-hour work week type thing as well so (laughs) i don't like i don't have a tv because i don't want to i don't want to like waste my time like watching rubbish (laughs) that actually isn't gonna add anything to my life or work and um i guess with with my social media agency we get lots of we get lots of sales calls we get lots of um like people who maybe actually we're not the right fit for them because they should be they'd be better off kind of using a different software or something like that and and it's like how do we how do we put all the processes in place so that when when the phone rings it's someone who wants to speak to us about the exact service that we provide and we will be a perfect fit and so we've spent a lot of time putting things in place that mean that all the like little fiddly like non-relevant things will just be not not in our kind of brain space what what are some ways that you i mean you say you don't have a tv um but other ways that you weed out the unimportant or unnecessary things um so in my agency one of the best things we did was get a telephone answering service so that they deal yeah. with like recruiters or they they deal with sales calls they know the process to take someone through when they when they want to like employ us or get some help what else 
So I live in, well, the, the base camp that we have in Birmingham is like the smallest flat we could possibly get. <laughs> so it's got like a Murphy bed that comes down from the wall and goes back up. And the point of that is like, don't get too comfortable. Don't create like this big mansion that you have to clean and like requires upkeep and you like worry about when you go away, like create something that is like just a base camp so that it makes, makes you do the stuff that you know you want to do, which is like travel and train and be out and about all the time. Oh, how cool. Very cool. And, and you also talked about, I want to ask you your visualization process before you lift. Um, can you, can you run us through that? So there's a, um, like a fitness kind of YouTuber called Chad Wesley Smith. He runs juggernaut, um, like juggernaut training or juggernaut fitness. And one of the things that he said is lift one, three, five, like it's your max and lift your max. Like it's one, three, five. And I guess he's talking about one, three, five pounds, which is about 60 kilos. But I really Mm -hmm. like that as a, as a tool for remembering that you have to do everything like it's a competition lift, even when it's like a warm up. Oh, okay. Cool. And I think it kind of relates to, it like relates to business as well, because everything you do is like, do it as if you're on stage and as if this is the real time, like practice is like making, making your practice perfect rather than just doing things, going through the motions. And then before, like in a, in a competition, the most scary and nerve wracking time in a competition is that little, like probably about 10 minutes in between your second and your third deadlift, because that's, that's going to make the difference of like getting a medal or not getting a medal. And so, um, so in that time, I'll just be there like going through in my head exactly what I'm going to do. So it's like, okay, so you're going to go up, you're going to get chalk on your hands. You're going to go to the, go to the bar. You're going to lift it in exactly the way that you know how to do it. And you're going to like, you have to just visualize absolutely every part of it. And then your body almost feels like it's kind of, it knows what it's, what it has to do. And then that means that you, you make the lift and everything's good. That's amazing. I, I was watching your TEDx video earlier and, um, I like uh, some of the things that you mentioned. You talked about uh, the world, uh, creating useful people for the world, but also um, preparing people for jobs that are not yet created. Because when you were young, you um, were were not encouraged to um, be prepared for jobs that had not yet been created but yet still a few years later you created your social your own social media agency at uh, I think you're pretty young like 23 yeah, or something like that yeah 22 yeah and um I'm I'm curious like what what do you, and that was in I think 2011 what uh, inspired you to create that at 22 and how did you know that was going to be um or what made you think that was going to be a winning uh, investment for a business? Yeah. So I, am um, I'm fascinated with the whole arena of like creating useful people, which is kind of <laughs> create, I guess what I mean by that is, is people feeling like they can choose whatever career path they want to do. They can go down any route that they feel like it and they, that they feel like, and they don't feel like, Oh, this is a risk or like I could never do this. And they, they don't listen to naysayers. They don't, they don't just do like the, the normal stuff because it's normal. Like they question it all the time. And so I'm like fascinated with how people can, can choose the way that they're going without like, just without any, I don't know, like how some, how someone can feel like they, like a a certain path is right for them. Whereas other people might just never get round to it or they might always be too scared. And, um, I definitely felt like growing up when I was at school, like you're in school, you're 
you're pushed to go to university. When you're in university, you're pushed to get like on a graduate scheme. When you're in a graduate scheme, you're pushed to get a career job. Like you could basically end up sleepwalking your way through your career <laughs> and not ever question it. Like I remember mm-hmm. I went to I went to university after after school, but I do not remember for one second even thinking like, is this the right decision for me? And maybe if I had thought about, about that then, I might not have gone. I don't know. But I guess it doesn't matter if someone goes in the end or they don't. The point is that they need to feel like they can question the decision. And and now when I like when I meet people who are doing like what they want to do when they want to do it and they've like molded a career out of what they really, really love, like it's really inspirational. And so like loads of my work is around like what is that? Like how do we bottle that concept that someone or that like skill that someone's got and give it to kids now growing up so that they can be prepared to do whatever whatever they want when they're like 16, 18 plus because because yeah, even even in the three years between me leaving school and and starting a social media agency, like a social media agency didn't even exist when I was when I was leaving school, it wasn't even a thing. So you have to just you have to be able to go, well, what's around? What could I do? What am I good at? And I think um, what I knew I wanted to do and what I knew I was quite good at is is writing and like being kind of commercially aware, and then. I thought that social media was quite a fun, like new thing. And I was like, yeah, I'll give it a go. <laughs> and then so much, so much of what happened then and so much of what happens like throughout, like all the work I do is this feeling of like, what's the worst that could happen? And also like, how hard can it be? Like, how hard can it be to start an agency and to start winning clients? Like you, yeah, you can do it. Some, someone else out there has done it. Therefore I can do it. Um, and maybe, yeah, that's just what I have in my head all the time. Like what's, what can really go wrong? Like someone could say no, and then you just do something else. Yeah. I, I, I like this idea of creating useful people. Not that, you know, we're creating, there's tons of unuseful people in the world, but, um, <laughs> but I think you, you mean like creating more high impact people or high performing people or, or people that just could at least follow their own bliss uh, on a more regular basis. Cause I think about that a lot. Um, I don't have children yet, but one day I hope to. And and I think about how much um, you, how many useless classes I sat through, um, yeah. and and I'm sure I gained a little, you know, bit of I don't know, maybe tenacity or knowledge from a class that serves absolutely no purpose uh, for the rest of my life. But there's a lot of stuff in the regular in a, in our educational systems that uh, just is not useful. And, and so I'm, I'm always looking for things that we can either teach clients or teach the next generation or teach friends and family, um, that could be more high, um, uh, high impact for their lives. Um, yeah. what are some of those things that you think of, you know, regarding, uh, the, the idea of creating more useful people? Well, the feedback that we get from kids, from the parents of kids who've read our books is that the actual behavioral change that they see in their kids is that they might have like hit a kind of obstacle or hit a problem. And whereas before they'd read our books, they might have been like, I don't know, had a tantrum or had tears or they might have like kind of felt defeated. But then once they've met characters who are like a kind of role models in how like confident they are or how resourceful they are that the behavior the behavioral change has been that their kids have been able to like think start thinking of like solutions to the problems rather than feeling defeated so I guess that's probably the crux of 
useful people being able to see things not as like just setbacks and and giving up but being able to go okay what do we do next and what do we do after that and if you if you can instill that in like a a seven to nine year old then once they're 18 they're like okay so there aren't really any jobs around so how do I create my own or I don't want to I don't want to live with my parents so how do I go out and and pay my own rent and and it will give them the like confidence and the ability to think in that way so that that's how they can go and create like the life or the career that they want to have. Something I forgot to mention is Jody has uh, uh, quite a few children's books and books on using social business books as well. And uh, how long have you been writing children's books? Um, I think we came up with the idea for the children's books in 2013. And it was just, it was all around thinking about um, what means that some people can go ahead and start their own business and not think of it as a risk? And why do other people like they think it could never be a path for them? And it it pretty much all came down to role models and who someone meets in their journey that gives them the courage to to take the leap. Um, so it was a conversation around like how do we bottle those role models and how do we like inspire kids so that they their futures can be different. So it was me and my husband who thought of the idea and then we like started kind of like mind mapping different ideas for children's storybooks. Like again, under the ethos of like, how hard can it be? Like, it can't be that hard to write a series of kids books. Um, turns out it is quite hard, but we, we managed it. We like hooked up with a guy who was a, um, like a writer as well and then came up with the concepts for the stories and then started writing them and got an illustrator and then um, worked out how to get them print ready and then started selling them. Um, but yeah, I think that was about five or six years ago now. And then the, the main thing that happened that was quite cool with, with the Clever Types books is that we managed to get some, some um, stockists, like we were in Harrods and Selfridges in London and we'd like go into the shops and see them on the shelves and it was just quite exciting and definitely good for PR. And then when we were in there looking at them, it was like something feels wrong here. Like the kids who will benefit the most from these books and not the ones whose parents are shopping at Harrods and Selfridges. It's almost like, are we widening a gap rather than like eliminating it? And so that's when we just had the idea that we could we could work out a way of like gifting them for free to every, every primary school in the UK. And all we needed to do was go ahead and find like a sponsor in order to make that happen. So that was like the big, that was the kind of big mission of like 2016. Just there's, there's someone in a room somewhere who can sign this off and all we have to do is find them. Um, and so it took like absolutely ages, but, we we found that person in that one room who could say yes i'm going to put your books in every single primary school in the uk wow um, and then that's what happened and then that was the that was how we got on the forbes 30 and the 30 list and that was what like gave us such a huge springboard to be able to start like selling books to the us and australia and like getting getting the brand out there and getting them translated and everything that came with it wow cool so so when so you were at um Herod's and you were looking at your book from the that point to to finding that person that could sign off and put all of the books in all the schools can you explain that process of of finding that person and even if you could share who that person was yeah so that person was Martin Dodd of Lloyd's Banking Group who headed up their kind of CSR department and um the process of finding him was I guess twofold one was just writing a list of like everyone we knew who was vaguely 
in that industry or vaguely in the industry of knowing people who had like marketing budgets or, or corporate social responsibility budgets and just going and meeting them and, and not meeting them to say, like do something for me. It was more like, we'd love to just get on your radar. Here are the books. Here's what we're trying to do. If you hear of anyone that, that, you know, like has this on their agenda too, just, just put us in touch. And it was like, months and months of just having those meetings and trying to get on as many people's radars as possible coupled with doing loads of searches for people with those job titles sending them messages and just kind of meet doing meetings and stuff um and then it I think it took about two years in 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 total but then someone who we'd had a getting on the radar meeting with met met Martin at an event and said oh hey I've got something that I think could be quite cool he came and met us and then we followed that process with them and working out exactly how it could fit in with the with the goals of Lloyd's and what they wanted to do around um their campaign was called helping Britain prosper at the time and so we like worked out how what we were trying to do fit it in with that and then and then yeah they said yes <laughs> but that was exciting right <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was almost like what the hell because it wasn't even it's not like selling a big kind of enterprise software thing where you've done the you've done the hard bit and then they just use it it's like we've actually done the easy bit and now we have to schedule all these like all the printing and all the delivery and all the like email campaigns and everything so like it was such a big project but it was it was just so amazing and we're still getting feedback to this day because in the back of each book there's a email address where the kids can email the character and we get like the cutest messages all the time but um but it's nice to know that people are really relating to their characters because they're all like kids of an unspecified age who are just like like resourceful and excitable and they're just they're on a mission and they know what they're trying to do so I think they are really cool role models for seven to nine year olds wow can you break down um the process so like if I have a goal like that um I usually I generally create uh mini tasks throughout the week to help move towards that towards that goal so I'd be like you know something that I would create would just like call or contact you know, five people this week regarding um, getting the books in schools. Uh, how do you guys handle that? Is it just a big goal and you're like, okay, we're going to go after it and naturally, or do you create smaller tasks in that, that bigger goal? Yeah, creating, definitely creating smaller tasks and then making it, making it like an everyday occurrence to go some way towards achieving it. So how I kind of organize everything is there's a, there's a spreadsheet that's linked in my, like web browser that's just called game plan and it'll be like the projects that I want to like achieve in each month and then it will be broken down into like the smaller things that I need to do daily in order to get closer to those goals so for the for the the national um the national clever tax deal it was like every day like send a message to someone to say hey can I send you some books it was every week organize a meeting for the following week with someone like try and get on the radar of someone else who runs a podcast or or who has a network of people in in that industry and sometimes like it's hard because the right person they might not define what their job title is on LinkedIn they might not know anyone that you know but as long as you're kind of making the connections all the time like I think they'd kind of just multiply Mm -hmm. and and um when you met, what was his name, Martin? Yes. Yeah. When you guys met Martin, what does it cost? Like, what what's a price to put <laughs> on the books and and schools all around the UK? It was a quarter of a million pounds. Okay, so that's cheaper than I actually thought. And, oh, great! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Maybe we should have charged yeah. more. <laughs> well, how much do your books sell for? 
So uh, a set of three is 15 English pounds. Okay, cool. And then after that process, um, what kind of snowballed after that? You said you mentioned some of the books got sold in the U.S. and then started to spread it amongst the world. Yeah, and we're, the process that we're trying to do at the moment is to try and get a U.S. sponsor to put the books in all 95,000 elementary schools. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, so I guess, yeah, how, how hard can it be? <laughs> and then the stuff that, it's, the stuff that it led to was um, things like the Forbes 30 Under 30. And then we also got, like, we got invited to speak at some events on like social entrepreneurship and social mobility and started writing for Forbes actually online. And then getting approached by companies doing similar things in like entrepreneurial entrepreneurial education and being able to like join up with them because there are lots of people in this space doing really amazing stuff so there's like a there was a publisher in um in the arabic speaking world that wanted to buy the license for our books there to translate them into arabic and to distribute them around around their region um and then other kind of companies with a similar agenda that just wanted to have actual products as well as like the courses or the homeschooling that they did so it just like it really just opened doors it was like we we spent a year or two like banging down doors and then once one huge one was open it just they just kind of came came in after that yeah how cool have you thought about trying to get in uh in for the u.s and get in get in states at one state at a time like hitting some of the bigger states and then maybe it would snowball some of the others yeah yeah yeah, that could be something we do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And even even maybe just one book at a time, because one of the books is called Code It Cody. Yeah. And he is um he's like a boy that just he likes fixing stuff and he likes computers and he starts going to Code Club and he starts like making his own computer game. And um one of the first sponsors we got for that was a like a tech education publisher who um, just wanted to hand them out to people around their area, like people people who were coders but also had mm-hmm. kids. So the idea is that it kind of inspires a level of coding and gets their kids to go, oh, I want to learn about this. And that's that's what it did. So, I mean, if we could get like Google or Apple to sponsor just that one book in the yeah. US, then I'm, I'm convinced it would create like a generation of people who were super excited about learning to program. That's amazing. Where does your desire to help the younger generations come from? I think just from like having a whale of a time in my own life <laughs> and <laughs> and knowing that like it's I'm just really grateful for the role models like I've had along the way and wanting to like create those role models for other people so that other people can go hang on I don't like something or I'm not happy in my career or my relationship or or anything else and just like having the courage to go and change it yeah it makes sense now you don't only just have kids' books, but you have books on all different social media platforms, LinkedIn uh, for business, Instagram for business, Twitter for business. So I, I know you have your social media business and you guys are writing books. Where's the balance between your business books, your kids' books, and, and running a social media agency? <laughs> I just like writing. <laughs> you, you just like um, writing, yeah. So with, with the social media agency, we um, because it's been running since 2011, like when we first started, there just weren't that many other agencies out there. Mm-hmm. So it was like, we got some really cool clients and then like, we're quite broad in what we focused on. And now we're very much, um, we want to be like the people who train other agencies and the people who train other, other kind of marketing professionals, because we've got our own clients and we're looking after them, but we've also, we're aware that the, the skills and the expertise that we're creating can help other people as well. So that's the idea behind, we've got like a social media reporting tool and we've got a series of, um, 
of like eBooks and printed books that kind of help people do stuff. And then we do a lot of training for like other agencies all over the world. So I guess it's, it's a little bit to set, to set us apart. Uh And so, yeah, and it's, and it's just fun. And we get to work with other marketing professionals who then go on, go on and work with their own clients. Um, So my Amazon author page is probably a little bit confusing. (laughs) <laughs> but that's okay <laughs> it's okay it, your personal brand is not so i think it's all right um like financially wise for your businesses and your books what's is the social media business bringing in the majority of the money and then books are extra or or is books you know funding just as much as social media or how's that working at one point it was it was like um 95 social media agency and it was um like the rest of it was the kind of 5% of like books and, and like random other stuff. But um, I think the, the national deal with the storybooks was when like a side project started to like get bigger and then wasn't a side project anymore. And so the doors that that opened and what that's led to has meant that it's more like 50, 50 now. Okay, cool. And I'm curious on your thoughts being so involved in social media where you think social media is headed in the next, let's just say five years. <laughs> so um, we recently put together some additional like training docu, like kind of resources for the new account managers who join us. And um, we were looking on, on Ted for Ted talks about social media thinking, Oh yeah, it'll be all about like best practice and really cool campaigns and stuff that's going on. And it was pretty much like, why everyone hates social media, um, why social media is really bad for you, why it's going, like why it's, why people are signing off it and having like digital detoxes and stuff like that. And it, if you just looked at that alone, you would think that your predictions for the next five years or so of social media is that it's going to like disappear. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's going to disappear. I just think that people will adopt the, the kind of ethos of social media as like minimalists do to life. So you'll try and like take out the crap and you'll make more use of Twitter filters, which mean that you never see Love Island come up on your feed because you just don't care about it. And you follow fewer people, but they have to be higher quality. And you are like less, you're just shameless about unfollowing your friends who don't actually, who you don't talk to anymore. And I think, I just feel like I want it to go down the route of like quality. Yeah, understand. I don't know if that will happen. Yeah. <laughs> okay. How do you guys balance your digital detox and social media use and, and work and, and life balance? So I don't have, I don't have social media on my phone Okay. because I don't like the idea of mindlessly scrolling because I don't think it adds value. I think it takes away more than it adds but at the same time because of the work that we do I want to know what brands are doing and I want to know what like influencers are doing because we just like we might take ideas from campaigns or we want to know like the different features that people are taking like making the most of so it's like a very controlled way of using it it's like this is my half an hour where I'm going to scroll I'm going to look for ideas I'm going to get inspiration and then I'm not going to use it yeah and I I recently read um, Cal Newport's book, Digital Minimalism. Yeah, how is it? I, I I've got that, but I haven't read it yet. Yeah, it's it's really good. It gives you it definitely gives you a lot to think about. Um, he talks about taking a digital detox of thirty days and then slowly introducing things back. But he also talks about um, differentiating between compulsory technologies, so like ones where 
Like it really, things really would go wrong for you if you didn't do it. And then optional technologies where like it wouldn't really matter. But I think running a social media agency, the the line between optional and compulsory technologies is a bit blurred. <laughs> right. And I think that's the same with any professional in like any entrepreneur or any digital marketing professional, because it's like, you can't just, you can't just do your craft, do your making and then just leave, leave it. And you can't, and it just, I just don't think it would work like that. I think where I try and focus is like getting the balance and getting the discipline to not have like a dependence on social media and not have an addiction to it. Yeah. Do you ever find yourself though, just getting sucked into the black hole of social media, uh, even though you're balancing it out really well yeah I think, yeah <laughs> yeah I think so it, it just becomes more about awareness doesn't it and being like what am I what am I doing right now what am I trying to avoid because I'm like what am I doing this in order to avoid and then you just it's just like being honest with yourself isn't it you you know when you're doing something which isn't going to add any value whatsoever and you know when you're doing something which actually is what about when you justify it as resting Oh, I don't count. I don't think don't? I count it as resting. I don't know what I count as resting. I think like reading, reading fiction is resting. Going for a walk is resting. Sleeping is resting. Listening to like, um, like I don't know, meditation apps is resting. But then I don't know if I'd count scrolling social media as resting. I think I'd count that as like either work or like keeping your mind very active. Yeah, this is this is what I found. Like my patterns are. I you know for a while I would mindlessly scroll through Facebook and then I got bored of Facebook and then I moved to Instagram and then I got bored of Instagram and and now uh, YouTube is my vice <laughs> and so I'll put you know I'll just get like five or six YouTube videos that are lined up there and actually you know it's kind of a nice break so if I'm working throughout the day have some lunch and want to rest for a bit and watch some videos but I mean my mind really rests but I'm also kind of learning at the same time yeah I'm doing I'm not doing like cat videos I'm doing uh, <laughs> yeah. video, videos that you know uh, uh, blips of a podcast or some yeah, update. exactly yeah but YouTube is like the world's largest free university so you could learn so much on it so yeah if it's videos of like cats if it's videos of cats like being I don't know just silly then yeah that's probably more akin to just randomly scrolling social media but then if it's if you're actually learning something then it's it's equivalent to someone else is reading a textbook or reading an article or something like that so yeah yeah that's okay we'll let you off <laughs> thanks appreciate <laughs> it I, i'd like to talk more about your ted talk and you said one of the most useful lessons that you had in your life is your parents i believe as your mom told you you had to learn how to pack your own suitcase when you went on trips <laughs> yeah. and i can see how value that valuable that would be and i always see you know kids going through airports with their little suitcases or their backpacks <laughs> and uh, i'm i'm curious like did it their parents packed their bags or you know they're having their kids so uh, how young were you when you first when your parent when your mom started making you pack your own suitcase it it, it was as far back as I can remember I yeah. don't ever remember someone else doing it for me but that was just the nature of like growing up I think because my mom's had her own business for like 20 years or something and she's just super like independent and and positive and resourceful and just probably is like the ultimate useful person so it was just it it probably just felt natural to her that like she just developed a sense of independence in in her kids in me and my sister so from when I was tiny I just remember if we were going away it would be like 
get your suitcase down from the loft and pack it. And that's, and it was nothing, there was never any, I didn't know anything different. I didn't realize that other kids wouldn't do that for themselves. And if we had like, had to book a dentist appointment, we would book our own dentist appointment and we would call up the dentist and we would tell them when we were available and we would do that. And it seems crazy. It seemed crazy to me at the time that like other people wouldn't do that for themselves. I just didn't, I didn't know any different. I remember getting to university and in, in my second year, I lived with seven seven girls and it was only me and one other who paid for our own phone bill oh really at the time I just remember thinking like but who else pays for it like I just did not understand that like you would you would not do that for yourself (laughs) so I think just because it was normal it meant that we just learned how to do stuff like that and then didn't even think about it and then I think the probably the responsibility that it taught from an early age was the most useful because like if you're going to pack stupid outfits that don't match and won't be appropriate for the weather then <laughs> you have to live with that decision and you're not gonna you're not gonna like it so they probably I, I'm sure my mom had some fun like seeing some of the crazy outfits we put together for ourselves and like I don't know when we just packed summer clothes for a winter holiday or something like that uh, but yeah. but you just learn don't you and then you don't do it again uh, I, I'm sure your mom as a busy entrepreneur was like how can I outsource this so I don't I remember her being really organized and having lists of her own of her own packing and her own things that she wanted to do so I think there was a point when she like gave us a version of her list that we could make our own lists out of it so we kind of learned on like how to plan it but it's I'm sure it's all stuff that I, that I use today yeah that's great um, I like to tell people on the podcast how I met with the the guest, and we were actually reaching out to um, people that had articles on Forbes and uh, seeing if we could find like a collaboration or a win-win situation. We reached out to you, and you responded real quickly. Um, and thanks for being open for that, by the way. And and then we got to know you a bit more, and you said, "Oh, you had this cool podcast." And I'm like, "Well." Jody qualifies to come on the show. Um, but for the listeners out there, you know, I think they always wonder how, how does Chris or how do people get connected or how do people get connected? And it's just simple, cold outreach a lot of times and mm-hmm. uh, just reaching out to somebody and saying, Hey, I see what you're doing. It's pretty awesome. This is what I'm doing. I think it's awesome. Maybe we can collaborate in some form. And mm-hmm. and thus we got you on the show. And we we were joking around. We had a guy on the show recently, and I, I just pitched him. I, I didn't even pitch him. I sent him a message on Instagram. Hey, interested in coming on podcasts? You're doing awesome things. And he goes, yeah, but only if I can show up in my underwear. And <laughs> I was like, yeah, but over, underwear would be overdressed for this show. So, um, <laughs> but it's, it's just kind of fun. In what ways, Jody, like, um, you know, every entrepreneur kind of has to go through that process of uh, reaching out to people they don't know to grow their business. Um, wh- what are some tips um, or methods that you have learned throughout your career um, on cold outreach and connecting with people that you don't know to create some sort of win-win situation? Well, I think the way that you did it was a perfect example of that because it was, hey, I've read that, I've read this article, I really like it. What about collaborating on some stuff? I've got a podcast, like we've we've got things in common. Um, and then I think the response was just like, yeah, sure, let's write an article. And and then we kind of talked about the topic of giving advice and receiving advice. And then that's a yeah, that's like an article that's scheduled up. So it, I guess when it's when it's right and when it's like clear what the what the mutual benefit is. It can happen pretty quickly. Um, 
I guess I'm never, I'm never a fan of like non-personalized outreaches because I think you can just tell them like a mile off, but I'd rather do, I'd rather do fewer that had more personalization than like loads of mass ones. Absolutely. It's like, it's so easy, isn't it? If you, if you're checking, checking out someone's like profile and what the work they've done and like everything, everything about like who they are if you're genuinely excited about it, it's just so easy to write that intro email because it's like, oh my God, you've done this. Oh, you know this person as well. Like, and you just kind of get carried away with yourself. And then I think you can feel that passion and that enthusiasm almost through the email. <laughs> and then it, it makes it easier. I think some of like some really good friends now I've met through those kind of like interactions where their online presence has suggested that we're into some of the same stuff and we're working on some of the same goals. So like just being being genuine and being authentic and like if you're actually not excited about what someone else does is there that much point in getting in touch because there's like a million other people who you could get in touch with where the connection would be really valuable yeah and that's a perfect example of you know wasteful time right uh just reaching out and trying to do things that with people that you're not excited to do things with and uh it, it ends up really being a more often than not i would say just a bad idea or a bad you know, it's not such a win-win situation and the results are uh, subpar anyway. Yeah. I think where it's less clear is where, you know, there's a benefit, but you know, there's probably more benefit than you, for you than there is for them. Yeah. And that's when, what I try and do is like, just think about like everything, everything that I have to offer and kind of think about how I could involve someone in that in order to kind of be a connection with them in the future. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think about too, like, how can I uh, make sure that uh, there's there's equal value? And I communicate that to people like, um, you know, is there anything else I can do? Uh, do you feel there's equal value? Is this a win-win situation for you? Mm-hmm. Um, just to make sure, because I, I don't like being a part of even a situation where I might be getting even more value out of it, or it, it, if it's even leaned in my direction even more I don't necessarily always, I'm, I'm not always comfortable with that unless the person is completely clear that they know that's happening and they have no problem with it whatsoever yeah because it's almost like who what qualifies you to ask because like why would they help you rather than help someone else I think it goes back to what we were trying to do with getting the the clever tax national deal it was like we're trying to get on people's radars just to have chats and like I'm sure that we were able to make connections and and make introductions and and kind of give equal benefit as well as the the ones that we received but if you're just going and asking for something then it's yeah it's I don't think you'd want to be that person yeah you made it on Forbes 30 under 30 European social entrepreneurs and uh, I'd love to know how uh, you made that happen I don't know if I remember. I think it was friend of a friend of a friend saw a thing that was out to say we're we're kind of recruiting for this round of them. Um, And then I think they they said, like, I'm going to put you forward for this. And I was like, yeah, sure, go for it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And then they did. And then it happened, which like makes it sound probably easier than it actually was. But the, the harder bit was like the the former former me meeting as many people as possible and and like getting friends and having relationships and and kind of expanding those networks so it's it's like doing 
doing stuff each day that your former self, that your future self will thank your former self for. So it was something, it was something around what my former self did, which meant that that seemed easy, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Were you writing for Forbes before that or did, did you No, start? after that, they, that happened. I didn't have anything to do with Forbes and then, and then someone saw that list and then put me forward for it. And then it was at the launch event for that, that I met one of the editors and they were talking about this, this like contributor program that they were opening. And I was like, yes, put me on it, put <laughs> me on it. So, and I probably like just followed them up quite a lot because I was just really excited about it. And, and yeah, that's how I started writing. Does that open up a lot of doors for you once you get on the 30 under 30 list? Yeah, I think so. Just, it feels like there are quite a lot of lists around, like there's, yeah. I don't know, 20 under 20, 25 under 25, 35, like it probably goes on forever, but I think just being on the list isn't going to add much value, but seeing who else is on the list, looking up there and use, just using it as an excuse to get in touch yeah, and then, and then making the most of it and then making those like connections. Now there was, um, there was a list I was on that was like a 35 under 35 thing that was around fairly <laughs> recently. I think it was through management today. And, um, the the other 34 ladies who are on the list are in a we're in a whatsapp group together and it's quite cool just like nice. hearing about i just like hearing about what other people are doing and the different stories and the different businesses they they run and one of the ladies in the group announced that she was like the new dragon on dragon's den in the uk and it was like wow this is crazy like she's just in a whatsapp group just casually saying that she's like that's what she's going to be and then so everyone was like supporting her when she had her first episode up and now she's like just doing really cool stuff and has massively expanded her network so I just quite like hearing not just not just the people who like are already there but the the little like wins and milestones that people have on their journey uh and and just for the listeners the dragon's den is like the UK version of shark tank is that right yeah that's right yeah cool um that's such a genius idea if you get on a list like that to create a whatsapp group for for the people that are on the list because what a powerful mastermind on your on your whatsapp right how cool that that's that has me thinking of what what other WhatsApp groups can I create of, of, of groups like that, that I'm a part of. That's really smart. I think just everything can be an excuse to get in touch. Like even, even like we're both in the DC and uh-huh. then it's like, that's an excuse to get in touch. And that means that you just, you just feel differently about people when you know that some point in their life, they have made similar decisions to you. And it kind of, it makes you think that you're on a really nice level with someone, even though like we've literally just joined, both joined, joined a group. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this Let's move over a little towards the last few questions of the show, but I want to talk about influence. And because the series of this, this, these 100 podcasts are interviewing major influencers and how they handle their influence responsibly and how they grow their influence. And so being on Forbes 30 Under 30, being a, a professional author with books and schools all across the UK and the world now, actually, and um, one of the top social media agencies in the UK, you've gained a considerable amount of influence in your life. And I know from a lot of times people <clears throat> will tell me, even before I thought uh, I consider myself somewhat of an influencer, people would say, oh yeah, Chris, you're a really good influencer. And I didn't even know what that meant. And uh, so it's really interesting to hear everybody's perspective on that. But um, how Jody, do you handle your influence and managing it to make sure 
um, what you're putting out into the world is going to be, uh, is, is you're being responsible for what's going out in the world, but it's going to create a positive effect. I think that I try and make sure that everything I do all joins up with what I want to achieve and like the kind of mission I'm on. And because that's all around inspiring entrepreneurship and like creating useful people, everything has to fit in with that. And if it doesn't, it will feel disjointed. It won't feel right. And you can't, you wouldn't like, you can only really choose like one mission, I think. So if I was trying to talk about the pieces I was writing on entrepreneurship, but also I was like a big advocate of like, I don't know, cause X, Y, and Z, then it wouldn't, it would feel like I was spread too thinly. And then there's no point because then no one really knows what you stand for. I think there, there are like quite a lot of, there are quite a lot of just like issues in the world that you could try and solve, but it's just, it's just really important to pick one, I think. And probably a way to start is by the, the UN global goals, because there's 17 of them. So pick one that you want to like dedicate your career to, and then like appreciate that the other ones are going to be like what other people are working towards. What are those, the UN global goals? Yeah, the UN goals for sustainable development. So it's around like how everyone in the world can join up to create a better world by 2030. And so one of them, I think it's number four, is quality education. And one of them is like access to work. And one of them is like um, clean water for everyone. And there's, there's 17 of them. So if you align what you're doing with one of them, then every bit of content you put out, everything you create, everyone you talk to, like that's the mission that you're putting forward and then I think that helps align everything you're doing in order to be the kind of influencer I guess in that in that like industry oh how cool did you know about those before you got into business for yourself no I don't think I did I first I think it was actually someone a friend called Daniel Priestley who's written books on entrepreneurship and he's got a like a kind of business coaching organization um he talked about that's like the most powerful thing a business can do like align themselves with a global goal and then that's when I started looking into them and being like hey yeah I really like this because it's a way of saying mate I like I'm not necessarily gonna write a tweet a day about the plastic in the ocean but I know that there are other people solving that problem so I'm going to focus on this quality education one and make sure that that's the one that I like really own because it's appreciating that everyone's got their own specialisms and the things that they can really drive forward like we don't have to try and solve every problem on our own wow who comes up with those those I mean I know it's a UN but do you know the is there a board or uh... don't know I like to think that it's it's like a multi-country approach. Okay. Yeah. We would hope. Um, okay. If you were going to give like two or three tips, Jody, on, on influence and tips on growing your influence, what would you say to the listeners? I would say find, find out what people are searching and make sure that when they are searching it, they are finding you. And the phrase that people are searching is probably not the phrase that you think people are searching. So get on Google, click keyword planner and find out like if, if you're working in social media, then how many people are searching social media expert or social media consultant or social media specialist or all these different terms and then work out which one you want to position yourself as to get found. Um, Cause I think the default should always be that you get found, not that you have to do outreach. Um, 
And once you're positioned highly as the person who gets found for those searches, that's when it opens doors from like journalists who are writing about something who want your comment on it or people who want you to join up with them to help them solve problems and help and like do consultancy for them. And it just adds a lot of credibility when you are found for the searches that, that you define yourself as. Amazing strategy. Uh, Jody. I think we're going to wrap the podcast up there, but I want to ask you first, if the listeners want to learn more about what you have going on, where's the best place they can do that at? Um, best place is probably, so my website is jodycook.com and then you can search me on LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram and I'm there as well. And then um, if you search Jody Cook Forbes, that's where you can see my articles on there. Cool. I want to give you a huge thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing all your tips and tricks and methods with us. We really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thanks, Jody. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Listeners, we're going to wrap up there. Thank you guys for tuning in once again, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight-figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.